0: chapter 6 of the dude wrangler by caroline lockhart this LibriVox recording is in the public domain reading by map chapter 6 burning his bridges wally opened his eyes one morning with the subconscious feeling that something portentous was impending though he was still too drowsy to remember it he yawned and stretched languidly and luxuriously on a bed which was the last word in comfort since mr cone's pride in the colonial beds was second only to that of his pride in the hotel's reputation for exclusiveness with especially made mattresses and monogrammed linen silken coverlets and imported blankets his boasts were amply justified and the beds perhaps accounted for the frequency with which the guests tried to get into the dining-room when the breakfast hours were over a bit of yellow paper in the chiffonier brought wally to his full sense as his eyes fell upon it it was the answer to a telegram he had sent pinky Fripp in prouty wyoming making inquiries as to the possibility of taking up a homestead it read They's a good piece of ground you could file on, if you got the guts to hold it. Pinky. Wally grew warm every time he thought of such a message addressed to him coming over the wire. Though worse than inelegant and partially unintelligible, it was plain enough that what he wanted was there, if he went for it, and he had replied that Pinky might look for him shortly in perotie. And today he was leaving. He was saying goodbye forever to the hotel that was like home to him, and the friends that were as his own relatives. He had $2,100 in real money, a legacy, and his clothing. In his newborn spirit of independence, he wished that he might even leave his clothes behind him, but he had changed his mind when he had figured the cost of buying others. His aunt had taken no notice of Wally's preparations for departure. The news of the rupture had spread quickly, and the sympathies of the guests were equally divided. All were agreed, however, that if Wally went west, he would soon have enough of it and be back in time to go south for the winter. Helene Spenceley had left unexpectedly upon the receipt of a telegram, and it was one of Wallie's favorite speculations as to what she would say when she heard he was a neighbor. Something disagreeable, probably. With the solemnity which a person might feel who was planning his own funeral, Wallie arose and made a careful toilet. It would be the last in the room that he had occupied for so many summers. The hangings were handsome, the chairs luxurious, and his feet sunk in the nap of the velvet carpet. The equipment of the white, commodious bathroom was perfection, and no article of furniture was missing from his bedroom that could contribute to the comfort of a modest young man accustomed to every modern convenience. As Wallie took his shower and dusted himself with scented talcum and applied the various lotions and skin foods recommended for the complexion, he wondered what the hotel accommodations would be like in Prouty, Wyoming. Not up to much, he imagined, but he decided that he would duplicate this bathroom in his own residence as soon as he had his homestead going. Wally's knowledge of Wyoming was gathered chiefly from an atlas he had borrowed from Mr. Cohn. The atlas stated briefly that it contained 97,890 square miles, mostly arid, and a population of Ninety-two thousand five hundred thirty-one. It gave the impression that the editors themselves were a hazy on Wyoming, which very likely was the truth, since it had been published in Mr. Cone's childhood when the state was a territory. What the atlas omitted, however, was supplied by Wally's imagination. When he closed his eyes he could see great herds of cattle, his, with their broad backs glistening in the sunshine, and vast tracts, his also, planted in clover, oats, barley, or whatever it was they grew in the country. For a diversion, he saw himself scampering over the country on horseback on visits to the friendly neighbors, entertaining him frequently himself, and entertained everywhere. As for Helene Spensley, she would soon learn the manner of man she had belittled, this frame of mind was responsible for the fact that when he had finished dressing and gone below he spoke patronizingly to mr apple who paid an income tax on fourteen million it was a wrench after all the going and the fact that his aunt did not relent made it the harder it was the first time he ever had packed his own boxes and decided upon the clothes in which he should travel but she sat erect and unyielding at the far end of the veranda while he was in the midst of a sympathetic leave-taking from the guests of the colonial there were tears in mrs budlong's eyes when she warned him not to fall into bad habits and wallies were close to the surface when he promised her he would not ah you'll be back when it gets cold weather said mr apple "'I shall succeed or leave my bones in Wyoming,' Wally declared dramatically. Mr. Apple snickered. <laughs> "'They'll help fertilize the soil, which I'm told needs it.' His early struggles had made Mr. Apple callous. Miss McPherson, looking straight ahead, gave no indication that she saw her nephew coming. "'Will you say goodbye to me, Aunt Mary?' She appeared not to see the hand he put out to her. I trust you will have a safe journey, Wallace. Her voice was a breath from the Arctic. He stood before her a moment, feeling suddenly friendless. This makes me very unhappy, Aunt Mary, he said sorrowfully. Since she did not answer, he could only leave her, and her failure to ask him to write hurt as much as the frigidity of the leave-taking. The motor-bus had arrived, and the chauffeur was piling his luggage on top of it, so, with a final handshake, Wally said good-bye, perhaps forever, to his friends of the Colonial. They were all standing with their arms about each other's waists, or with their hands placed affectionately upon each other's shoulders as the bus started, calling, "'Good-bye,' and "'Good luck!' with much waving of handkerchiefs. Only his aunt sat grim-visaged and motionless, refusing to concede so much as a glance in her nephew's direction. Wallie, in turn, took off his girlish sailor and swung it through the bus window and wafted kisses at the dear, amiable folk of the colonial until the motor had passed between the stately pillars of the entrance. Then he leaned back with a sigh, and with the feeling of having burned his bridges behind him. End of chapter 6